Hey everyone, welcome to Rust Belt Startup. This is a podcast that it focuses on long-form conversations with educators, entrepreneurs, artists, people that are just building unconventional lives in unconventional locations. I'm your host, Ryan Miller, and I'm super happy that you guys are here today. So, uh, what, what's what's happening? How's everyone? How's everyone's spring or winter so far? Everyone doing all right? Um, I got to tell you, I'm feeling good about uh, being being back in in podcast land. So, been been getting out there and meeting people and having some having some talks, and uh, and and really been 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 digging it. Hope you are too. So let's cut right to the chase. Today on the show is Devin Mahoney. Devin is a, 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 a an acquaintance of mine. Dare I say a friend of mine. Uh, gotten to be uh, friends over the last couple years. He's from Utica, New York. Moved out to LA to pursue a career in uh, television and film writing. And uh, most recently, he came back to the area, and he and his wife founded an organization called the Uptown Theater for the Creative Arts. And the up and they purchased took over the Uptown Theater, the historic Uptown Theater, uh, in the Arts District of Utica, New York. And uh, this is an old movie house from the 20s that has been in various stages of disrepair, and, and they got a vision, they got this beautiful vision for the theater to change this in from a movie house into this really, uh, you know, we were calling it in this conversation a punk rock version of a fine arts school where we bring comedy and music and, and theater and movies and community uh, to this area of the city. And uh, they've, been, they've been at it for a couple of years now. And full disclosure, I'm on the board of the organization now. It's, it's fantastic. But I think it's a, it's a great story uh, uh, to share and uh, I tell you really briefly about a couple of moments that that, uh, that resonated with me about the Uptown because it's it's been uh, a place that has been uh, been in my in my life you know uh, at, at various stages. I, I can remember as a kid going there uh, when it was a second run movie house with my grandma and and seeing a film there every every once in a while. And the Uptown was was that place where you can go get get a two dollar ticket and go see a movie. And uh, you know, and maybe a buck for some popcorn and candy, and uh, and you know, it was it was not the best place to see it to see a film. But as a kid, he didn't care. I was seeing a movie on the big screen, and the theater, you know, since that time, I, I think it, it struggled during during that time as well, um, but had fallen on some hard times. Um, and but I'll, I'll tell you, there was there was a moment in two thousand and eight. Um, where I can remember, well, I guess two, two, two moments around that, that period of time. I remember going to see uh, Michael Moore's Fahrenheit uh, 9-11 there, and, and they showed it at the Uptown because none of the other theaters were, were, would show it uh, in, in, our, in our town. And so I can remember waiting outside and going, going to take in that, that movie. And I love this idea of a movie house that would just show stuff that other places wouldn't show. And the Uptown, I think, had the potential uh, to be that. Um, but I guess, you know, more importantly, more important, more importantly, in 2008, um, I can remember going to the Uptown with some friends because they were uh, live stream. I don't know, was streaming a thing in 2008? They were showing live uh, uh, Barack Obama at the uh, 2008 uh, Democratic National Convention where he accepted the nomination. That was in, it was in Denver. And uh, it was a very amazing thing to be a part of, to see this moment in history at a movie theater, uh, being surrounded by uh, you know, all these different people in, in, in this town from all different uh, backgrounds because of what that candidacy meant to so many of us, whether you were African-American, whether you're young, um, just this, this idea of this, this great change or the, this, this great moment of, of potential. And I can remember being in that theater and, and, and uh, you know, clapping and yelling and, and just sharing this moment with people. Um, that's, what, that's what theaters do best. You know, I think uh, at their best, you get to share a, a moment, uh, uh, and you get to share an emotion with with people around you, and you, you can't get that in a home theater. Um, but yeah, that that was an I can remember that being an amazing moment at the Uptown. And then a few years later, I had the opportunity to actually perform on the stage. They they took down the screen of the theater, and it was in it was in pretty rough state of, of disrepair, and I got to to play a show there. 
uh, at the theater opening up for Ryan Moplu, who actually, I guess you call him a friend of the pod. Is that how they, they, they say it now? Friend of the pod, Ryan Moplu, um, fantastic musician. I actually got to open up for him as part of a music festival here in, in Utica on the stage at the Uptown. And that was a very special moment uh, for me as well because I really love, love what Ryan does. Um, so yeah, I've been kind of having this, this, this history with the Uptown throughout various stages of my life and uh, happy to be a part of, a small part of hopefully bringing this theater back into a new chapter um, of, of usefulness and creativity and community uh, here in the area. So in this conversation with Devin, we, we don't talk a ton about the theater. We do get into the, to the theater uh, and, and the vision for it. And he's got some great stories about how even right now with it being in its kind of uh, infancy, how it's been impacting people and changing people and connecting people. And, uh, and, and you know, I would, I would say that like the Uptown is is just as much of an idea as it is a building. And, and that's a very, um, a very cool place to be. Uh, but we really talk a lot about his journey from upstate New York going out to L.A. and what's it like to write for uh, a sitcom like Scrubs and, and, and work in that business and how that business kind of changed and collapsed and, 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 and um, has to reinvent itself over the last decade. And some of the things that brought him back from L.A. to upstate New York. So we really kind of dig into creativity and the business that is entertainment and writing and how he has evolved into trying to take on a monumental task such as this. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with myself and Devin Mahoney from the Uptown Theater from the Creative Arts. I'll skip, I'll skip all the background stuff uh, with you, Devin, because I'll, I'll give people the you know, the basic lowdown is you're from here, you went there, you're now here again, there being the West Coast, right? That's how I describe it to people, yeah. Yeah, I was here, then I was not, and I was here. Yep. Um, and your background is writing, comedy, entertainment-ish. Yeah, ish. sitcom writing uh, is where I, I spent, you know, a lot of the, the last 15 years uh, doing that by day, writer's rooms, mm -hmm. and then by night doing uh, live comedy, improv comedy. So let's, before we get to... The uptown, uh, and I guess really what I, what I want to talk about is a little bit of your a little bit of your journey. But I want to get your thoughts mostly on um, the entertainment business, and I guess the the decentralization of entertainment mm -hmm. because that's where I'm really interested in how communities that are not Los Angeles uh, are can can participate in the in the entertainment economy i guess and so before we get, before we get to the to the, the actually do you want to talk about i was gonna say before we get to the theater let me think about this let's start i guess let's start in la mm -hmm. right so you go to la and what year did you go to la and what were you doing out there 2004 um i graduated from college in 2001 i went to siena out near albany and got a degree in marketing and management and then tried to move back to the utica area around then and get a job utilizing marketing and management, marketing and, management. and they're just in, in showbiz yeah there was just <laughs> nothing doing so kind of on a whim I, I applied to grad school and i got into the television and film program master's program at uh, newhouse at syracuse mm -hmm. uh so i went there kind of not knowing what i wanted to do um it was almost um kind of lack of opportunity uh, in a good way, it led me to kind of throw caution to the wind and think about what do I actually like to do? Um, and it was take around a camcorder and, and make stupid videos with my friends, which mm -hmm. I never would have seen as a, you know, a career. Well, option. 2004, that wasn't a career. No, right? it wasn't. That you was... know, this was, this was, uh, pre iPhones, pre you know, YouTube, so really was, what was YouTube? 2008, 2005? I don't know. I want to say five, six or yeah. seven, right. somewhere around there. So yeah, I, you know, I kind of have always enjoyed entertainment. I'm a big comedy nerd. Didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I went there, you know, thinking I might even want to do something, you know, in the music realm, doing like music videos or something. Um, but I've always had a, a creative uh, vein running through my body. So I wanted to exploit that. So I, I went to Newhouse, kind of realized that writing was was kind of what I was drawn to that was a cool year and a half program it was it was in and out and then when I was done there after uh you know the year and a half there 
they kind of tie you up with a, a capstone project, mm-hmm. which is essentially a industry internship. So I met uh, my friend Rigo there. We became writing partners and then wound up moving out to L.A. to take an internship working for two alum who were writers on, uh, according to Jim, the, the Jim Belushi juggernaut of the early aughts. Yeah. Um, so we just kind of uh, packed up our cars with, you know, no place to stay yet or idea of really what we were doing. Took the first apartment we looked at and uh, we started off when we first got there. We, you know, we did that internship. We wrote a couple of scripts under the mentorship of those guys, John Beck and Ron Hart, who were, who were super great guys and great writers. And then uh, from there, we you know we both worked on uh, I don't know if you remember MXC Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. Was that a, a thing on? It was was it like a, an Asian? Um... Yes, it was on the Spike Network. If yeah, you remember that, yeah. and it was yeah it was an old uh, I believe Chinese game show. What was was it an obstacle course or something? It was. Do you remember Wipeout that was on? Yeah, ABC? yeah, that, that was that's was a rip off okay. of MXC. So they took an old. Um, they got the film rights to this, you know, Chinese obstacle course show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Used the footage and then hired a bunch of groundlings who were oh, improvisers. Right. So it was just voiceover. Just right? voiceover. Yeah. So so they would, you know, cut it up and and then we would just sit in the room and, and they would have improvisers just kind of improvise along. So it was Mystery whatever. Science Theater three thousand over an obstacle Essentially, course. Essentially yeah. with like bad puns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we started there and then I left there. I got my first paying job out in LA was as a production assistant on Scrubs. Uh, the hospital what's a, what's a production assistant do? Uh, is this the, the get coffee kind of thing? Or essentially, just yeah. I mean, there, there's kind of every department has them. Yeah. I started off in the production office, which is kind of like the nerve center of the production, which is really cool. It, I probably learned more there in a year than I did, you know, in a year and a half of grad school at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. But kind of wherever you're needed you can go and work for that department so it was answering the phones in the office copying the scripts delivering the scripts to the actors kind of after hours picking up lunches making coffee grunt work grunt work walking zach brass dog i remember changing (laughs) ceiling tiles in in like dressing rooms so real grunt work but it was you know a, a good way to get my foot in the door after a year of that. Is that how everyone kind of does it? You know, you, you kind of have the, the um, or you, you hear the, the myth, I would call it mythology, but like the origin story of a lot of people are like, got in the car, didn't have a place to live, drove out to LA, production, got coffee for two years. Is that just how the business works? It is worked? if you don't know anybody. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there are plenty of people who get to leapfrog all that stuff, yeah. you know, if they come from that kind of world. Mm-hmm. But I, I had no connections kind of to anywhere. You know, when I got there, I I took my resume, and this was back when there were still fax machines. You could buy this book. Oh, what was it called? I don't remember what it was called anymore. Hollywood Creative Directory would essentially list. It was like a phone book for. See, all they the, had one for the music business too, because yeah. I remember buying a copy of that, and it was like to send demos to. Yeah. You, right. So it was like a phone book for production offices. Yep. So you know, I would go through and just fax my resume to them blindly and then call to see if they got it and ask if they were hiring. And then I kept a spreadsheet essentially and then just kept calling places when they told me no or to call back later. And finally scrubs just kept trying to blow me off by, by telling me to keep calling, to keep calling back. And then eventually I got someone on the phone who, who uh, I asked if they were hiring and he said yes, when he probably shouldn't have. And I said, okay, great. Can I have an interview? And he's like, Oh, hold on, let me check. So, um, they brought me in and, and I got hired kind of like that, um, meeting with the, you know, the production coordinator. So can, can I ask you this in terms of the, uh, you know, you said you learned more in that, in the grunt work year than you did at, at, with the grad school. Did you, did you leverage what was part of the, was part of the experience with, with Newhouse or an, I'll just call it entertainment business in general. Is it, is, are you, can you use the connections from the grad school to get the foot in the door or, or in retrospect, did that matter at all? The connections didn't matter. Yeah. Probably the thing that helped most was I, I did like a day as a PA on a commercial shoot at Turning Stone when I was at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. So I had like one thing on my resume. Okay. So you got to you know, have a thing that you did. You got to have yeah. a thing. Mostly they just wanted you to have a, a reliable car. You know, they didn't care. <laughs> uh, John, John, who was, you know, one of the guys I, uh, I interned for, the writer, when I, I remember when I got the job. Uh, or got the interview. He was like, "Oh, I know, I know the production coordinator. She dates a buddy of mine. I'll call and put in a word for you." I was like, "Okay, great." 
And then I got there, and she's like, oh, yeah, so so John called me, which is weird. He's friends with my boyfriend, who I broke up with recently. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, okay, well. But, but he likes me. Uh, but he, well, I think what I said was, well, I, I uh, thanks for having me in. Kind of, uh, this isn't going to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that attitude is kind of what helped me get in, because a couple of the other PAs were sitting in on the interview, and I think they they saw my defeated uh, take on that. So it was pit, the pity helped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They're like, oh, that guy made fun of he's himself. He's gonna he's gonna starve he'll unless be okay. you give him this. Oh, he'll be okay. Well, I yeah. think I think the the coordinator didn't necessarily like me, but they had the the three other PAs there too yeah. at that time because that's who he was gonna be working with. Yeah, and I think they brought a couple people in, and, and ultimately they were like, uh, you know, Devin seems. Okay. Fit, a fit for the room. Yeah. So it was, so I did a year there, you know, answering phones, running call sheets, first one in, last one out. The next year I did, I was a PA for the writers, mm-hmm. which was a much easier job. It was, uh, I, I mostly just had to make sure their, their, uh, snacks were stocked and I would get them lunch every day. What's a, what's a writer's room like? Are they sitting around just, um, uh, spitballing ideas all the time? Essentially. De- yeah. I mean, depending on the, the, spot in the process Mm -hmm. but uh yeah it's when i was at scrubs it was probably about between a dozen and 15 or so writers uh each year and you know they'd start before in pre-production they take two months to kind of talk about what they want to see happen this year story ideas story arcs then they start breaking them down into episodes Mm -hmm. beating out each episode story beats and then so you would go from from a story area to a, a beat sheet to a story area to an outline to multiple drafts. So and and you're working on different versions of different episodes at the same time. So you could be just beating out episode twelve while they're shooting episode five, and episode six is you're you know in the third version of the script. So it's hmm. kind of juggling all those episodes. But yeah, full day you know probably at least 40, but probably more like 50 or 60 hours a week of just sitting around and, and, you know, brainstorming ideas and and refining. It sounds like a good gig. It was a lot of fun, you know, especially that year when I was the PA, I, I, I had to make sure they had snacks and get them lunch. And other than that, I got to just, I had a little office and I got to sit there and write. And that's where I really started getting your own stuff, my own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to be around, but there, you know, there wasn't much, um, it was much to do as much to do. Yeah. Uh, that changed the next year. Then the next year I got bumped up to writer's assistant, which is sitting in the room with them, mm-hmm. making sure you write down all the notes, you know, A, everything that's said, all the notes on the board, keeping track of all the actual documents. Then I became a script coordinator where I'm in charge of the actual script mm-hmm. and the liaison between the writers and the production. So when they're calling down to say, we need to get the script out, we need to get going, when the hell is it going to come out? You would say, I don't know, they're not done yet, um, and uh, kind of answer questions yeah. as to like, you know, what's coming up that week, what kind of sets they're going to need to build. And this was all on Scrubs. Yeah, I was yeah. on Scrubs for, f- I think it was four years, five seasons. To this day, the longest job I've ever had. How does that work when, uh, you know, is is the is the life of of a of a, a sitcom writer, uh, a, a short and tumultuous stint or, or, I mean, how do you know when it's time to, um, how do you know when, when, when things are, when the ship is sinking or when it's time to jump or do they, do, do you get pushed? It, it's hard. There's, there's a lot of, um, so for me, I, I got lucky the year, the first year of season four was the first year I started on scrubs. And at that point, I think they had picked it up for at least two more like I think they had picked it up for two seasons at a time then mm-hmm. so I knew that if I didn't get fired the show would be there for a year or two that never happened again so um, after I you know after I did two or three years as a writer's assistant they let me write an episode there that that they shot and aired on ABC and I got to write and produce a web series which at the time was yeah. one of the first ones they did yeah. that went on uh, the ABC website um, and then I remember leaving there being like, I'm a writer now. I wrote a script. I got that under my belt. I'm going to go get hired as a writer. And that was wrong. You know, so I, I, uh, I, I went on to um, work as an assistant on, you know, probably a dozen other shows after that. And that's when it really got crazy because it was, um, it was right around the time TV started changing. You know, 
with the, the uh, proliferation of uh, cable and then ultimately the internet. Yeah. But, um, you know, it used to be that shows would get picked up for 20, 25 episode series a year or episodes a year. And that would, that would be essentially be a year's worth of work. Mm -hmm. You take a month or two off in, in the summer for hiatus going on employment and come back the next year. But then more and more as, uh, budgets dried up, the, the writers, the writer's room started getting smaller. The, the episode orders started getting smaller. So, you know, from there for, you know, I would start on scrubs. We do for four years, we did, you know, 22 episodes. Next year I worked on a show called better off Ted mm -hmm. that, uh, got 13 episodes and that was six months of work. So then it, then it starts becoming trying to patch together these, a, a life, a life yeah. and these freelance jobs. And you never know when the next one's coming. So I got, uh, I did two 13 episode series of better off Ted and then wound up on a show called outsourced on NBC. That was, uh, on NBC Thursday nights with the office and 30 rock that got a full 24 episode season, which was rare but then was canceled after a year. And then from there, I, I, I went on to work on, you know, probably, you know, 10 more shows that, that uh, I got hired on, got to be in the room. We'd make 10 episodes. They'd air one or two of them, and then it would get canceled, and hmm. no one would ever see, you know, any of it. Yeah. So it, it really became um, kind of a hamster wheel of getting hired and, and working hard and proving yourself to a new group of people and, and – uh, uh, it was really great. You got to be in the room and pitch jokes. And uh, as a, an assistant, it, it, a writer's assistant was great because you're in the room. If you have something valuable, you can contribute. Mm -hmm. You know, it can get in. Um, but then it's uh, and then the show gets canceled and you have to kind of start over again. Was there um, when you when you kind of look back at at that time it seems to me like and I, by the way I've, I've never I've never been to LA I've never been uh, been out there know nothing about about the industry but it it seems like it's a, a just a, a real cutthroat uh, place to be yeah you know but and and yet you talk about being able to kind of like land you, you kind of land from one place to the other how do you how do you how do you build up the either what is, is it a network is it is it uh, how do you learn how to navigate that? It's uh, it was it's all networking. I think yeah. I only ever got one job where I submitted a resume. It mm -hmm. it was always um, good help is hard to find okay. if you can work hard and, and prove yourself competent. Uh, the people that you worked for hopefully would bring you on to the next project, or if they didn't have one, recommend you to one of their friends that did. That happened, you know, that happened to me a couple times. And was that basically the culture was like one of recommending someone? I mean, yeah, you know? absolutely. Okay. What, what about um, so? So what you're telling me is you didn't go to a lot of networking nights where you passed around a business card or things like that. No, that yeah. I mean, I early on when I first got there, mm -hmm. I did a lot of those, okay. and then I realized it was oh, these are just a bunch of other people that don't have jobs, <laughs> and I don't know if anyone here actually does. It's yeah. just a bunch of people without jobs looking to get one, which is uh, I guess can also be helpful. But that's what you learn is to kind of find your people, yeah. get in with them, and um, and hope for the best. Why did you decide you want to get out? I got to the point, I don't know that I ever did decide I wanted to get out. I, you know, I, I was never planning on coming back here. The Uptown uh, became ultimately became an opportunity that was too good to pass up. Um, but it was, it was uh, you know, when I first got there, they said, you know, work hard for the first five years of doing this, you'll be grossly underpaid. Mm -hmm. After that, you'll get staffed on a show and you'll be grossly overpaid for the rest of your career and it'll be great. I did that for 14 years. And it's just the the whole, it changed. You know, the thing yeah. I signed up for that the people before me who told me do this because this is how I got in, it stopped working like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, like every other media industry, yeah. I think, at, at that period of time, right? Yeah. So, so everything dried up rather than, um, working on a show for a year. It's, it's, you're working on three or four shows a year. You don't really have the opportunity to kind of work your way in or into a second season. The dream would be to get on a show as an assistant. It gets picked up. It gets a second season in the second season. They put you on as a staff yeah. writer and then it becomes a, a, a union job. So every year you're on a sitcom, you get pumped, you get bumped up a level 
and get bumped up a pay grade. So, but you gotta get you gotta get but on. But you the, gotta get in the first. Yeah. You gotta get in the um, in the door first in yeah. the in the first level, and then you know what happened to me was watching. Uh, so the the showrunner, the head writer in TV, the the writer is kind of in charge as opposed to in film it's the director right yeah. so in tv if you write the show create the show you're in charge of everybody you're also in charge of the writer's budget so they give you x amount of money for writers you, you can fill kind it of, up and you can kind of split that however you want mm-hmm. you know and but you know what i saw a lot of was uh guys who would hit the top kind of level of the you know, top echelon mm-hmm. of of you know writing levels they would hire their buddies that they worked with years ago who ate up you know the big chunk the Kanye part of the budget exactly so then by the time that they got to filling in the mid and lower ranks there's no money left for uh for you know to to risk on an entry-level guy especially when um they know you're capable and if they keep you as an assistant you're going to be doing that kind of work anyway and they're getting you for free yeah so I just kind of got sick of that and I got sick of driving my kids around in um in cars and you know to spending Everywhere. so much time yeah. you know having uh having them in daycare and and not getting to see them enough so um i ultimately just get, got tired of that i also um and i think it's a good bridge to you know what you were talking about my my very last job i was on maybe not my very my very last one as assistant um cuz i finally did get staffed on a show and then once I did that, I was like, great, I did it. I'm going home now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was working on a CBS sitcom with one of the friends, you know, as the as the lead. And I was... Was it Joey? It was Joey. It was Joey. And was the show Joey? Was that what it was called? Nope. What was it called? Uh, it was called Man with a Plan. I think it's still on. Oh, okay. The irony is if I had stayed on, I'd, they would have staffed me. I'd be, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be a writer right now working in Hollywood. Because um, the, they, the guy that took my... That got bumped up behind me. Yeah, they, is they, now doing. Yeah. Is now doing that, but um, I realized I didn't want to do it. I I realized that I had been doing it, whether I was getting paid for it or not. I, you know, I was in the writers' room for three hundred episodes of network television. Right. I, I wrote jokes for every episode. You know, even though I didn't get that kind of uh, grab that ring of of getting the official title, I'd been doing or it. Or the I, check. I got, yeah, or the check, which yeah. was real inspir you know yeah. really drove um but uh i just kind of realized i didn't i, I didn't want to do that anymore because you know on that on that last show so many great talented writers in that room not one of them wanted to be there you know there's a dozen of them especially for network tv you have to go so many through so many rounds of notes and feedback and and you know making it lowest common denominator yeah well that's what i was going to ask what do you mean they didn't want to be there it was is it just because it's because it's the, i guess the, the art or the craft gets diluted so much out of it yeah so especially for a, for you know, a network a, probably, a right? network yeah. multi-cam show you're you're you can't make a smart show you know yeah. better off ted was yeah. uh part of the reason it got canceled was because it was too smart and people weren't looking for that they is want. that is that true i mean and and is is that is that based in is that based in data or is that just based in fear that like if we don't – this needs to be tentpole, broad base, or we're toast? I think a little bit of both. But I think people tend to watch the worst stuff more. <laughs> like Big Bang Theory was a huge show. I've never seen this, It's a by terrible the way. show. It doesn't have storylines. Yeah. Like it, it's just bad. It, but people watch it. Well, you know, my, uh, uh, my wife uh, makes fun of me because I've, I've barely, I've, I've, all these shows I've never seen. Uh, I've, I've seen a few episodes of Seinfeld. Yeah. But you know, and I get, I get the the cultural significance of, but I've, I've haven't uh, had. Uh, we we just put an, an antenna on the house, but I haven't had uh, uh, access to cable in fifteen plus years yeah. now. And um, we got. Um, she wanted to watch the. I shouldn't say she. We wanted to watch the. Uh, the Oscars or something. So we 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 go we burn through the trials, you know, right, yeah. uh, and we did the trial of the the YouTube TV there, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 I forgot to cancel the trial, so I got billed for the the month of YouTube. So I will have TV for a month. It is, it's awful. It's awful. A lot of the networks. Sorry, apologies to anyone here that works on network TV, but it, it's 
I'm shocked. Shocked. It's how very bad much it is. not good. So so yeah, because you, you're trying to pitch to the broadest, you're yeah. trying to get the biggest audience, and um, which which leads to stuff where average funny, stuff for average people. Yeah, and and really funny people are making stuff and putting their names on stuff that they wouldn't watch, yeah. that they don't stand by. You know, they they they're happy to have the job. It's a union job that mm-hmm. you know, especially at the top level, they're making. 30 grand an episode maybe wow. you know so um so it's a good gig to have but in terms of the output and what you're yeah. actually doing it's it just becomes soul draining i i uh, one of my last days there i got in early to kind of clean up the whiteboards and make sure all the scripts were out and i heard the showrunner talking to one of his um one of his old friends from uh, a, sh- a show that he wrote on back when kind of uh sitcoms were still strong and they were hiring a lot of people and this particular guy at that time was kind of a, a hotshot writer he had broken off from that staff wrote mm-hmm. a movie that people had seen and was calling this boss i was working for at you know essentially to look for a job and the guy i was working for told him like listen man i, I can't hire you I, like i had to create my own show to get myself a job you got to go do that yeah and he was like let me ask you something do, you, do your kids watch cbs like no, they're they're a teen. And I remember this quote exactly. A teenager with a YouTube channel has more of a reach than CBS now. It's true. And that that was the when I was like, what the fuck am I doing yeah. here? Like and 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 like you said, the proliferation of of uh, digital media now and and all these things, they take you away. I had to pay thirty grand to go to Syracuse to learn how to work a camera and edit. Yeah. And then in two thousand and six or whatever we decided it was, now everyone's got a, a, a HD camera in their pocket that they can edit on. Yeah. And you can put it on YouTube. YouTube wasn't a thing until two thousand and five, maybe. Yeah. So now it's like if you can come up with a good idea and, and, and shoot it well, you. there's nobody stopping you. So if you can get it up there and get it, you know, get exposure for it. Or even just make it because you're making you something to. that you like. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're doing this right now, right? Yeah. Like, no one's stopping me from putting this out. Absolutely. Nobody. No gatekeeper. Yeah. One of the last I shows... I win an I, Emmy or whatever, the, uh, or a Grammy, but... You but know. you never know. You know, the, one of the last shows I worked on was a show called Downward Dog. It was about a talking dog. <laughs> uh, he did um, Talking Heads, like in, like The Office, kind of, where it's documentary style. Yeah, but the dog would sit there and talk to the camera. And it was all about his... Uh, he didn't talk in the show. He only talked when they were in the kind of talking head shots. Okay. But it was all his, it was from his point of view, yeah. an aging dog. Um, it sounded silly, but it was actually a really good show. Um, but that had started from two guys in Pittsburgh who made a six episode web series. I think they were two minutes each. It was really good. Yeah. ABC saw it and picked it up and, and brought it to series. Wow. So it's kind of like. To me, that's kind of where it's going now more than you got to be creator first. You got to be creator, and you have to. And that was the other part of getting staffed is people, you know, were like, Well, what have you done? I'm like, Well, I've been working in TV rooms for 10 years. Yeah. Right, but what's your thing? Well, I haven't had time to do that because I've I've been been proofing their scripts. Yeah. So then it was like, um, Okay, why am I working so hard to do a job I don't really like anymore? Yeah. You know, it was great when I was 25, when I was. 35 and had two kids not as fun so i guess i kind of figured you know ultimately even if i do make my way through this writing hierarchy and do get to a place where where uh i want to be creating my ultimately i'm going to have to create my own thing anyway yeah and people are either going to want it or not so this part of you know doing the hard work for other people doesn't really seem necessary anymore I think that's that's valuable advice. You know, a lot of people get hung up on um, starting or just or, or shipping something or just putting it out in the universe because it's not going to be perfect. You know, you just got to do, do it. You know, and the first couple will suck. You know, the fir- yeah, a but lot the of first them are going to suck. They you know? might all suck. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I did right before I came back is I my buddies and I created our own web series. Mm-hmm. We, we were all guys who were kind of working for top-notch showrunners and producers and everything doing this by you know by day creating network quality Mm -hmm. stuff and we were like why don't we just do this on our own Mm -hmm. so we did we made a little six episode web series it's not great Mm -hmm. but it was a lot of fun and you did it and we did it Mm -hmm. you know so so that was really inspiring to be like okay this is a you know a broadcast quality show whether or not the the writing or acting is it this is a real product 
So, um, so to me that, that kind of, it all started clicking when I, when I, you know, the Uptown became an idea, um, this, this idea of just going somewhere where it's cheaper and easier to live and then having the time and the mental capacity to actually do something creative yeah. because my life wasn't getting sucked up into 60 hours of Talking typing dogs. notes yeah. and, you know, proofing scripts and stuff like that. Did you, uh, before we get to the Uptown, um, did you get to work with or meet any of the folks that, that you would regard as, you know, um, I guess regard as like, like a, uh, uh, mentor or a hero. And, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by lately, or just been thinking about is, um, it's different, I guess maybe it's different entertainment than other, other businesses, but I've had the, a good, I guess the good fortune of getting to meet a lot of people that I've, uh, or a handful of people that I've regarded as like, I don't know, people that have made had some kind of a, a real impact on me artistically or from from a business perspective, and um, sometimes I feel like it is just better to just leave it the hell alone and let them be this thing that is a, a creative inspiration rather than. I don't need to go and talk to this person, right? Right. Uh, have, have you had any of those experiences where you you either were um, either either I don't want to say just disappointed, or where you're just like, oh my god, this is the, this is the most amazing opportunity I've ever had to get to work with this kind of a person. Probably my favorite year there when I got to LA was that first year working mm-hmm. on Scrubs. Yeah. You know, I the the production office was on the same floor as all the actors dressing rooms mm-hmm. so you got you got to know the cast yeah. you know you got to see the the guest cast coming mm-hmm. in you know i got to meet like people i never would have met or wanted to meet it's yeah, like yeah. heather graham and, mm-hmm. and molly shannon is is one of the people that got me into improv oh awesome you know um so stuff like that was always really cool mm-hmm. um in terms of in terms and and then also scrubs when i got that job that was my favorite show at the mm-hmm. time so it was a real trip. It was a good show. It I, was a great yeah. show. You know, it was ahead of its time a little bit. It was it was one of the first non laugh track mm-hmm. kind of single cam ones. I love that show. So so to get to work there and then ultimately write one, it was a trip. I ne- kind of one of my big disappointments in the whole thing is I was never able to find kind of like a, a mentor. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked for a lot of great writers. Some of them treated me well. Some of them didn't. But there was never that one person who. Uh, took an interest enough to kind of be like, I'm going to help you out. You know, I'm going to help you get through this. Why do you think that was? I just, I think people are just too concerned with doing their own thing, especially now that it's so cutthroat. Yeah. Even being, even when you're a a top level writer, you have to fight for it. I I don't know. And I'm I'm sure those people are out there. I just, I never, I never came across one. Hmm. Um, people, some people treated me really well and I really liked working for them. And, um, you know, I've worked for a lot of people that have been on, you know, shows that people know about, but there was never, um, and, and I guess part of it too is, is the model now is you don't have enough time to yeah. make an impression on someone before you get canceled and have to go start mm-hmm. over with somebody yeah, the else. The cycle shortens so Yeah. Much. So the cycle shortens the people that I, I did think ultimately would have given me a break didn't get an opportunity to because mm, that's interesting because of you know the way the chips fell yeah so let's let's talk about the uptown so for for if someone does not know what i guess both the uptown and utca is i mean you, you know I, I read about you in the paper i think like the local paper and uh, this dude moving back from from la and was it was going to buy this historic movie house in upstate new york and uh, and try to do something interesting with it. And I, I don't know how I got. I think I just reached out to you on Facebook or something, and was like, "Hey, how do how do I how do I get involved with this? Um, can you talk about w- what Uptown is and and what the what the I guess your vision for it is?" Sure. So the Uptown is a um, it was built in 1926 right here in Utica, New York, as a silent movie theater and vaudeville house. So we're we're a year older than Stanley. Um, and when I grew up, it was the place I saw movies, mm-hmm. you know, um, it was right around the time that the multiplexes at the mall started opening up and, um, but 
you would go to the Uptown and watch a movie on, on a Friday. It was a huge, it was built as a 1,500-seat theater, mm-hmm. one big room. And I just remember the, the marquee lit up, and they, you would have to, if you went to the you know, nine o'clock show, you would have to wait outside for the seven o'clock show to, oh, to get out, to, yeah, to get yeah. out, you know, behind the, behind the ropes, the sconce, yeah. you know? So, um, it was an experience much more yeah. than, um, going to the movies at the yeah. mall ever was. And so I, I, and I, you know, it's probably the reason I wound up falling into comedy. You know, I, I saw Ghostbusters. I mm-hmm. saw Star Wars there for the first time. So, so to me, it was all, and then it, you know, it became a second run theater, and you could go there for two bucks. That's what I remember going with my grandma for a couple yeah, bucks. You know, they yeah. come out, you, you'd miss it the first time, then you'd go mm-hmm. see it at the Uptown for a couple bucks. Um, in the 90s, they broke it up into three theaters to, mm-hmm. to try to make money. Um, and like we were talking about earlier, it was the cornerstone of that, that South Utica neighborhood that when I was growing up was much more of, of kind of a lively, um, entertainment block, Captain Trips, Rainforest Preserve I, was there. I played Captain Trips, There you go, man. see, yep. So, like, there was music there. The Last Unicorn yep. was there. Like, yeah. I would, when I was a kid, I would go there, like, mm-hmm. get change out of the couch and go down and buy, like, cassette singles. So, mm-hmm. like, that was my block. And uh, I was just home home writing one day at Domenico's Coffee mm-hmm. Shop and looking over at the place and wondering, like, what's going on with this place? It was right around the time that um, I made that web series. We were We were releasing it. And I remember thinking, oh, maybe I didn't know it was closed. I thought maybe I could go over there and, and rent one of the theaters for a night to show it to my friends. And and I, someone was like, no, it's been closed for five yeah. years. I thought it was just in some state of failing, uh, which it had been for years. So I, I remember, I, like yesterday, I, I took my phone. I, I took a picture of the marquee. I sent it to my, my friend Todd, who was my best friend growing up. I was like, I'm going to buy this place as a joke, mm-hmm. kind of. Um but, you know, it was around the time we had, I had been, my wife, Brianna, and I had been talking about maybe trying to come home so our kids could have more of a, a normal life. And I, I didn't know what I would do with myself if I came back to Utica with my background. You know, there was, um, I didn't see how I could apply being a, a scriptwriter script yeah. to anything that happens around here. So I thought, um, so I just started adding, and I went home and I, I told one of the neighbors, you know, my mom's friends was like, Hey, how you doing? I was like, I think I'm gonna come home and buy the Uptown. She's like, Oh, you should talk to so-and-so about that. So ultimately I learned that the Uptown wasn't for sale, but they were looking for a nonprofit organization to donate it to because it had been caught up in this quagmire of, you know, taxes and debt. And ultimately, they were looking for a nonprofit to come run it to to bail them out of that situation. So I was like, I can start a nonprofit. How hard could that be? Right. So um, so that's what we did. So in in 2017, we started UTCA, the Uptown Theater for Creative Arts, uh, as um, specifically for this project to to take over this building to to restore it and uh, revitalize it. Um, and, and hopefully revitalize that block. But also to me, it, what the thing that was appealing to me was trying to make it into a community place more than a, a movie theater. The, the last few years I was in LA, um, I got into improv, like I said, Molly Shannon, I, I met her. She was on, she did an episode of Scrubs. She's like, oh, what do you wanna do? And I was like, I wanna be a writer. And she was like, Did you? are you, so do you do improv? And I was like, no, I want to be an actor. I want to do a writer, be a writer. So she said, you should do improv. And then uh, Neil Flynn, who played the janitor on mm-hmm. Scrubs, one of the greatest living improvisers, period. The man's mm-hmm. a genius. And I was like, Neil, where should I go take classes? He sent me down to Second City, or no, I'm sorry, not Second City, Improv Olympic West, which is where he performed. And I would go watch him every Saturday night, and it was like magic. And I was like, I want to do that. So I did that there for a few years. I went through that school, um, started performing there regularly on the main stage with my team Afternoon Delight, um, and then kind of fell out of improv for a few years, missed it, and went back. So I went back to the Second City, which is kind of the one of the more famous, yeah. probably the most famous improv school out of um, Chicago. So many people both with I.O. And, and Second City, so this is the truth, that so many people from Chicago were coming here People go to Chicago to learn improv because mm-hmm. that was that's where it kind of was born and blossomed, at least in the the modern times. Uh, so the people from those theaters, since they were all coming and booking 
gigs in LA started West branches of those theaters. So I went through second city in Hollywood and that's really where, uh, I fell in love with the idea of the uptown Mm -hmm. to me. The second city was a place on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood. Um, that was so much more than a theater or a school. It was, it was a community. You know, you would go there, you could take classes any night of the week. You could drop in and see a show for pretty cheap. There was a lounge there. So if, you know, you were stuck in LA or stuck in Hollywood and didn't have a place to go, you could just go and write in the lounge for a while. There was always somebody new around hmm. and it was a very, uh, supportive, creative community. So, that is kind of what I had in mind when this whole uptown UTCA thing came together was, yeah, it'd be great to take over this building. It's a beautiful theater. We want to, you know, restore it as best we can, make it a state of the art uh, facility for, for not only movies, but concerts and comedians. But on the, um, on the other side of that was I really wanted to start the place that wasn't here for me when I was here as a, a comedy nerd at 20 or 22 and or even in high school not wanting to go out to Varick Street every yeah. night and go to the bars you know and I wasn't a musician like I remember driving around thinking man I wish there was a place I could pay five bucks and just go see some shitty stand-up mm-hmm. and there kind of wasn't so so to me the idea of being able to teach creative classes whether it's improv or sketch writing for to a 10 or 12 year old kid to kind of Get them, get them started. Get right? them started. Yeah. I started so late just because I, I didn't have exposure to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I really want it to be a place where people who are creatively inclined can come, no matter kind of what that is. You know, we started in, in improv because that's my background. We're doing sketch and stand-up now, but I want to get into music and, and all these other things. Comic book class, yeah. drawing class, oh, you yeah, know, like... Yeah. Um, I, I want it to be, I, it's, and we're getting there, but I want it to be a, kind of a vibrant hub where you go in and there's kids taking classes. They're, you know, they're. It's like the, uh, it's the, anti, it's not a fine art school. It's the, it's the yeah. rough arts school. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's the punk version of, absolutely. Uh, of a fine arts. And that was kind of the take, right? Like we have it in spades. There's great yeah. culture around here. You know, we have, we have uh, Munson Williams, which is yeah. a great resource, but that always felt stuffy to me mm-hmm. and kind of not exactly, you know, like not exactly the stuff I wanted to do. And I'm sure they have some of that stuff, mm-hmm. but but I wanted to be a much more accessible kind of um, pop culture-y, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, punk rock version. The punk rock of version of, yeah. of a fine art school. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's that's kind of what you guys are, are, are trying to do. That's absolutely what we're trying to so, and, do. And part of it now is, is going back to that make your own stuff. In addition to being a theater, I, I want it to be a studio. Yeah. You know, we've got a bunch of production equipment. I, I want to teach classes in video production and editing and writing so um, we can form our own community of people that can do all those things. And then once we have that licked, then we just start making stuff and putting it up. And then there's no reason that anything we make here is any better or worse than um, anything anywhere else. I, I agree 100%. And I think that, you know, when I first, uh, talk to you and Rigo and I kind of heard that vision of like, why, why can't we do that here? Yeah. Why can't we, uh, and here being wherever you are, I mean, you know, it doesn't, why can't you outsource editing and script writing and, and some of these things from larger productions or as, as these small, you know, these small media companies, these, there's, you know, this idea of like micro production, I mm-hmm. think is going to be, is going to be giant. What, what about, uh, just one, one, uh, question on on the origin story thing you know this is an opening a coffee shop you know mm-hmm. i mean when you're there and looking at it i mean this is a this is a giant theater this is a i mean we've we've talked and full disclosure i'm 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 a, I'm a member of the board of, of utca so thank you for that um you're welcome but uh you know this this the scope of this project this scares me mm-hmm. right and and how do you how do you i guess Maybe not even in this case. How do you how do you think about assessing risk in your own life or opportunity in your own life? I'm sure there's a lot of people that wanted to buy this theater. Oh, right. How so many people have told go, me that they were going to do is, it? Yeah, yeah. They had the plan, right? Sure. Everyone's got the plan. Then do it. Sure. So then, how do you how do you look at that same situation and go, you know what? Um, this is really hard. This is incredibly risky. Sign me up. 
I got to a point in my career after, you know, doing what I was doing for so long that to me, the risk was getting too old and never getting to do something that I was proud of or wanted to do. So, um, and I have also always believed that, um, I don't know how to do any of this stuff, you mm-hmm. know, but, but I have always believed in, in the people I know and, and I, uh, I don't think I can do this. I think, I think that I can assemble a team and spearhead the, uh, the process and the project. And which is why I brought people like you in, uh, Rigo, my writing partner. Um, uh, listen, if I'm not going to do it, who's going to do it, I guess is what it came mm-hmm. down for, for me. And, and the thing that I, I think makes us different is that everyone else was looking at it from a, for-profit point of view, looking at it as a movie theater and saying you can't open up a single-room movie theater and yeah, the numbers be profitable. Yeah. They don't work. And you can't. Right. But what I was thinking and what we're doing now is while we're trying to raise the money to redo it, we're teaching classes and, and mm-hmm. we're having open mic nights and we're building a community of people that want to be there. You know, like you always say, people that will lie down in traffic for us. Yeah. And you to, guys have that. Yeah. To the point where we, me and Bria call it our friendly mutiny, you know, like <laughs> right, a right, month right. or two ago, yeah. a, a group of people who have been taking classes and volunteering all stood up and said, we're vested in this place. We want to help you. They assigned themselves coordinator positions and all sorts of different from, you know, creative uh, directors to uh, production coordinators and, and, you know, taking ownership of the improv program. So that now that people are, are helping us run those things, it, it frees Brianna and I up to do more of the executive things that that kind of were um, we were juggling with all the other day to day operations. So, and, and that was always the dream was that a gamble that the people that I thought would be here would be here, and that they would need a place. And that's what I'm seeing, and that's what makes me really happy about this more than anything. And if we fail and the the building never goes anywhere and and we don't get to do this big restoration we want to do, all right, you know, we're gonna do it. Mm-hmm. But but to me, it's putting together an improv class that has a 16 year old kid um, who's battling depression with a you know a, a 30 year old woman from Corn Hill with a 65 year old woman uh, who's retired Mm -hmm. and they never would have met each other. And at the end of eight weeks of improv class, their best buddies coming in and talking about their weeks and, and uh, super close. And so to see people of all different ages and, and walks of life come in and, and that's what I think was really cool about improv is it breaks down barriers really quick and it gets you invested in, in the people you're with. Um, I just saw that as a really, interesting starting point you know what you're really talking about is 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 i think the uptown as an idea rather yep. than a building or the yeah, uptown absolutely. as a story rather than a building you yeah. know um as as you're as you're building improv or i guess as you're building a community how how are people finding you you know i mean everyone's like i gotta have this great marketing plan i gotta have a really slick graphics i gotta do i mean i think there's there's something to be said for looking um uh competent but um you know i guess how do you everyone says oh i'm going to build a community how do you what's been your approach to building a community or has it been very just accidental and happenstance i wouldn't call it accidental i mean it's it's um there was forethought in it but it was you know we started we got the keys to the uptown in March of 2018. In June, we started teaching our first classes. So it took us three months. We took over one of the storefronts that was an old it was a jewelry place, jewelry or something, right? and music store. Yeah. yeah. So he left. We turned over that space. One of the guys one day when I was doing demo in there, some guy walked over from the bar. He said, "Hey, I'm Dean Kelly. I run JK Lumber. If I can help you guys out, let me know." So Brianna and I, Brianna, (laughs) Brianna and I, she had a a proposal for him that week. We went over to see him two days later. We're like, Hey, you want to give us all the stuff to, you know, we showed him pictures of other theaters and kind of what they were doing and, and what the investment would be. And they gave us everything we needed to, to flip that space into a usable little room, you know, from the paint to the wood to build the stage. And, you know, Rigo's a, a carpenter. So I made him come up and build my stage. And, um, we just started small. It's like 400 square feet in there, but we started, 
um, with one group of improv people. They had fun. They told their friends, you know, we're on Facebook. We're not, we're not paying for advertising, right. you know, a little bit on Facebook here and there, but it's been, it's been social media driven, um, and word of mouth driven. And the gamble kind of paid off. There are all these people that are here that are so creative. Bob Beach I went to high school with. He's a year behind me. He's getting his PhD in um, essentially marijuana reform. One of the funniest people I've ever met. He comes and kills at stand-up every week. Mike Gould, who's on our board yeah. now, started off in our very first improv class. He works for Chobani. Right, right. He's a Cornell-educated food, scientist, right? food yeah. scientist, and he's maybe he's the funniest person yeah. I've ever met. You know, so it's like, and that's always one of the things I thought back to being in these writing rooms. Is man, for every, for every. Uh, 10 people that are here and that's the other thing uh it's an opportunity thing you know I'm, I'm very privileged that i got to go to grad school and move to la to work in tv not everybody gets to do that yeah and um i remember being there and like yeah these guys i'm running with are funny but my buddy pete's little brother chris is so funny he makes me angry you know so like for every one of these guys that that has enough money that that went to theater school or had the whim to to come out and do this there's 10 other people that are just homework and day jobs and could be doing this if it wasn't for circumstance mm -hmm. and i was really just banking on them wanting to have a place to come that wasn't you know yeah a bar yeah or, no, or that's true. you know so and that's what we're trying to be is and um we don't place any parameters on what people can and you know people i want people to bring us ideas yeah and and people are doing that you know there's a it's we have a writing group that started there that that meets weekly we're doing live um electric music shows now yeah. tim tim yeah, tram is 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 programming shows and we're doing them in the lobby now because that's all the space we have but they're crushing they're and there's great local talent mm -hmm. um kind of in every area from singers and songwriters to to writers we're finding and, and comedians, uh, Kate Domenico. Yeah, yeah, she kills it. She's, she's amazing. Yeah. She's, uh, Kate's, uh, you know, works at Northern Safety. She's yep. married to Nick, who runs mm -hmm. the bar that, you know, mm -hmm. runs from our building. And she, um, you know, she, I think she'll probably tell you, she told me she wanted to move to New York and do UCB, up the Citizens mm -hmm. Brigade, and, you know, never came to that. And then an improv school opened up at the, you know, the bottom of her street. And now she's, She's our, you know, she's our yeah. star. She, she just beat the shit out of 10 guys in a comedy roast battle. Yeah. We got, we got the comedy roast, uh, sponsored by a beef company. We gave away <laughs> a 72 ounce steak, uh, Chuck roast is the, is the prize. And to see her, um, you know, get a giant steak for making fun of a bunch of guys was, yeah. was great. Yeah. So, um, you know, and these people are still working their day jobs, but now they're, they have a place to come after work where they have a, and I've seen this too. People come in and just have had horrible days at their day job and they come home and they're not in the mood and they're just not into it. And after an hour or two of improv, everyone's laughing and the stress is gone. And more than anything, that's that's what we want to be. How do you think that an, uh, uh, a theater or improv or this punk rock version of the arts has um, plays into the the directional narrative of a small city, right? Because I mean, you know, we're, we're sitting here in Utica, right? Um, can this can this thing work anywhere? Do you think? I mean, we're, there's creative people everywhere. You know, you 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 drilled into me, and I use this quote all the time. You know, uh, uh, talents equally distributed, opportunity isn't. Right. You know, I guess what are the things that you would like to see? Maybe that maybe maybe that's not the question. I mean, where do you see this going, and how do you see this fitting into? Um, where a city like Utica is going, we're we're at this kind of weird crossroads. Mm -hmm. That I think you know we're we're trying to decide what we are, mm -hmm. and how do you feel like UTCA fits into that, I or feel, doesn't it matter? I think right now, as someone who who moved away from Utica at a point that was pretty close to its bottom, and got to um, it, it almost seemed like as soon as I moved away, it started getting better and better every year. And I started getting a little bit jealous mm -hmm. that like there are actually things to do here now. There's a great restaurant, you know, mm -hmm. right next to Peepers in a place where you, you wouldn't go down on a weeknight, yeah. you know, and and all these things. There's this resurgence. And, uh, you know, if you had told me five or ten years ago, you can have the uptown, but you have to come back to Utica. I would have said no, mm. because it's Utica. 
but Utica is on an upward slant, I feel like. So it's a convergence of things happening. I think so, and I think this is one of the things that's missing. I think you can't have a thriving city without arts, and and to me, I hope this is the kind of thing that makes more people want to stick around and not leave, that knowing things like this or around here makes people who left want to come back whether they're creative or not and you know people have gone off to bring whatever they've learned back here and i think that's something that has been been missing from here we we grow great people here there's you know the people we know are great but then they go off and they leave and they you know they never come back and they go on and they they contribute elsewhere what if those people went off and did their thing for a few years, saw what was working other places, and, and brought it back here? There's nothing but opportunity here if you look at it right. That's kind of been, you know, a lot of my thinking too. Is is um, find what's working in similar places and yeah. and just um, remix. Uh, you know, you don't have to be you don't have to be first in the world, but right. you can bring something very unique to a um, to a place like this. Let, let me ask you. Let me ask you this uh, as as we kind of wrap this up how do you how do you i guess two two questions number one how do you exercise creativity besides improv and number two improv is a scary thing for a lot of people Mm -hmm. right like i'm pretty comfortable in front of a crowd improv still that that's scary i'm gonna do i'm gonna do a class i'm gonna get you um how do you get people off the couch and and instill uh or 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 extract the fear so they can try something that, that, that is very uncomfortable I think I think there is a certain amount of people you're not going to reach right but I think there there's probably a certain amount of people that want to try something new that are they're creative at heart or and that's the other thing it draws people out for different reasons whether mm-hmm. they just want to get out of their shell they like comedy they just want something to do. They think it would be a fun hobby. It brings them out. And I think that's a great start. And then once people start showing up and watching what we're doing, we, there was a guy that showed up to uh, our cage match, our improv cage match last night. Never seen him before. Walked up and was like, hey, this is great. I want to come do this. You know, so maybe that's one more person that'll that'll come join us up. It's um, it is scary, especially at first. It's you're out of your comfort zone. You're doing things that are really silly and make mm-hmm. you feel silly, but um, everyone's doing it, and that's the pact. And we and one of the things we say uh, in improv, and, and we've made sure to be uh, something we always say and and work towards at the Uptown is I have your back. And and what improv teaches you is you. We don't want superstars. We want uh, we want an ensemble versus a team, right? We don't want a team with Michael Jordan and four duds. We want we want five people who are uh, each equally capable that step up at the right time, that play their strengths, and that support each other. So more than anything, it's about support. And very quickly, you learn that okay, I'm going to do this stupid thing that makes me feel stupid, but so are they. And we're all going to feel stupid together. And at the end of that, oh, man, that was fun. And and now you have eight new best friends after, you know, after a week or uh, eight weeks of that class, however long. And um, so and, and I think one of the things is people don't know what to expect when they come do it. But what they find out is um, they find out a lot about themselves and, and their ability to do things they didn't think they could do. And I think that support and and friendship the bonds we're building are are really what drives it because there are these people who connect who who probably have a lot in common that that maybe would be hanging out or knowing each other only there was never any place for them to go and congregate Mm -hmm. so um the kind of people that come out to do it i think are already kind of prone to to get into it and then once kind of word of mouth starts spreading and people see it in action they're like oh i could do that that looks fun and and it builds like that. You're doing awesome stuff, man. And uh, where can where can people learn more about you and, and UTCA? And I, I guess where where can we find you? And what do you need? How can people support this mission? We are uh, find us online uptownutica.org. We're on Facebook slash UTCANY. We're on Instagram, all the social medias. Um, come see us. Come visit us. You know, we just we just launched. 
We turned our lobby into a small little 50-seat screening room. We're showing weekly movies on Tuesdays for two bucks. Not something I ever thought we were going to mm-hmm. do. Actually, it was your idea, I think, um, <laughs> to do $2 Tuesdays in the lobby. But we got a grant to do that, and and um, I never would have thought we'd been showing movies in the lobby. But people wanted to know when we were going to start showing movies again. So we started showing movies again. And and it's building. So come check it out. Come pay two bucks and watch a movie. We're launching a whole new, um, our first season of original programming. We've got people that have been doing improv for almost two years now. So we we put together two house teams. Uh, Bus Stop Robot is going to be our um, house long form team. Long forms where you take a one word suggestion, essentially deconstruct, take pull all the information, mm-hmm. and the associations out of the word, and do a twenty or thirty minute show just based on kind of associations to that suggestion. We have a short form team called Crop Top. Short form is kind of what you would recognize from uh, whose line is it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, more little games, some audience mm-hmm. interaction. Um, that's a lot of fun. We're launching a new monthly series called um, Uptown Saturday Night, where we're going to we do a format where we're going to bring in a uh, a local celebrity or celebrity nobody kind of. <laughs> we have them, you know, we get a suggestion. We have them tell a little monologue. You're going to have mm-hmm. to come do this sometime. Okay. Uh, they tell a little monologue based on you know associations to that that word or that makes me think of this thing that happened to me or oranges i hate orange juice with pulp in it whatever it is and then and then the uh the team does does an hour of improv based on wow. that monologue so that's a really fun thing we've got sam farmalaro who yep. runs Uticast, is gonna be the first one beth coombs is coming in awesome bill keeler are our first three guests um we got a couple more lined up um, we our sketch writing class has started uh, a sketch team, so we're going to have monthly comedy sketches shows. Um, we're doing a the open mic night on Wednesdays mm-hmm. is pulling comics every week from Cortland and Ithaca and Syracuse That's and awesome. Albany, in addition to you know ten people from around here. So um, we're putting on showcases every couple weeks with our our favorite comics and and just kind of mixing it up. So. Any one of those things, come see us. Come take a class. We're we're going to be getting into uh, pro- di- digital production, and I want to do a puppet building class. Is something we've been talking about. So um, come check it out. Bring your creativity. Bring your ideas. If somebody has an idea of something they want to do, we'd probably love to do it. Yet saying yes is our mantra. Um, saying yes to each other and then supporting each other, and that's kind of how we've been. That's kind of how we've been doing it. Cool, man. Devin Mahoney, thanks, man. Thank you, Ryan. This is great was fun, to finally man. finally do this. Yeah, this is great. It took uh, took us a while. We got it. That's right. We had other things to do. We are busy people. All right. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. That's a good place to leave it. I'm I'm, I'm super happy that Devin could could do the show. Um, thank and thank you guys for listening. You know, I've, I'm going back and forth between the long form conversations and the and the toolbox stuff. And uh, I don't know what the schedule is going to be for the pod. You know, I, I just feel like when I have a good conversation, when it gets to tape, I'll put it out. And so, t- so to make sure that you don't miss anything, the best thing that you can do is subscribe. Make sure you're subscribing on whatever methodology you're using to listen to this right now. And I truly appreciate you being here. Uh, you can drop me a line at hello at rustbeltstartup.com. Um, and just tell me what you think. Are you digging it? Are you not digging it? Do you like the long form? Do you like the short form? Always trying to, uh, uh, to do a better job here. But I really appreciate uh, you giving me your ears, lending me your ears. There's a ton of podcasts out there. Everybody's got a podcast. So thanks a lot for your time. We'll see you next time.